We're in Matthew chapter number 24 in our Bible. And if you would uh, just do me a favor and keep your Bibles open there to Matthew chapter 24, I, I want to bring, um, boy, maybe a bit of a Bible study today. Uh, I know we're used to preaching and um, I'm sure some of that will come out. I can't help myself, myself. but uh, I want to really give you some, uh, a study that um, has to do with uh, current events and a study that has to do with uh, our theme. Of course, our yearly theme this year is, uh, the theme for the year is eternity. Man, what a powerful theme it's been. I'm telling you, it has, it has really... Uh, gotten into me this idea, this, 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 not an idea, this knowledge that my last breath on earth, uh, my next breath will be in eternity. It'll be in heaven or hell, and it'll be eternal reward or regret, and uh, it will be forever, and I'll be just as much alive in eternity as I am right now, frankly, more so. And so as we've gone through this year, and we've talked about serving with eternity in view, and loving with eternity in view, and all of these things challenging each other with eternity in view, we get to October, and October is revealing eternity. And about 13 months ago, uh, we sat down and we chose that for, for the month of October, revealing eternity. Talked about a prophecy conference, and I'm very excited about our prophecy conference on October 21, 22, 23, 24. Very excited to have uh, Dr. Ralph Sexton come in, and I hope you make plans to be there. We're starting on Saturday night, which is a little different, but we're starting on Saturday night, and I hope that you are there, and I hope that you're inviting people for the prophecy conference. Prophecy is tied to revival. It's uh, knowing, knowing about the last days should cause us to be revived, and that's going to be the focus of the Prophecy Conference. But this month is revealing eternity. When God pulls back the curtain, and the things that we have heard, and the things that we read in the book of Revelation and other places of the Bible, when, when the curtain is pulled back and those things are revealed, they're brought to light, I'm telling you, we can, we can hardly imagine what it's going to be like at that time. I was doing some reading in Revelation chapter number 21, and I'll, I'll try to find it, and uh, uh, I don't know if I could find it, but I'll try to find where I was at and uh, give it to you. But uh, yeah, I found it here in Revelation chapter number 21 at the end of um, time. As John is writing the Revelation, of course, we know that Revelation is a book of prophecy, and we know that God uh, revealed some things to John, the revelator, there in the Isle of Patmos. And as we wind towards the end, listen to some of these verses about the end of time. The Bible says that God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, uh, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new, all through the 
book of Revelation, as God is revealing the end of the times uh, to John, John is writing, and he is writing, and he is writing, and he is writing. And here, when we get to these final moments, as God himself makes all things new, John is writing, but he gets caught up in it all, and, and he pauses, he's just watching it, and the Bible says in verse number six, and he said unto me, or I'm sorry, verse number five, and he said unto me, write, for these words are true and faithful. I, th I think that John was so taken with what he saw that he, he forgot that he was supposed to be writing it down. You know, he was just so blown away by God making all things new that he just kind of, he just sat there for a second and, and God was like, hey, wake up, you know, write, write it down. And he said this, he said, write this. He said, write, uh, it is done. Boy, I like that. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. And what he was talking about when he said it is finished, uh, te I paid in full, he, he was saying that the plan of redemption is finished. The salvation of man is finished there. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. But here in Revelation, he said, write this down, it is done. What's he talking about? Man, he's talking about time. He, he said this whole thing. As a matter of fact, he says the very next phrase. He said, uh, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He said, he said, write that down, John, because there's nothing left. It's done. And as you and I think about prophecy, now, now listen, I am no expert, and I want to say that, and I'd like for you to highlight that on the video and in your Bible, all right? I am not an expert. But these things excite me. And I even have been praying. I said, Lord, I'm, I'm going to pray about, I'm going to preach on this because it's thematic and it's what we're talking about. And Lord, help me not to seem like a crazy man. I don't want to, I don't want to seem like I'm crazy up here. But as we think about prophecy and the end of time, it should excite the child of God. And, uh, and so that's kind of where we're at when God pulls back the curtain all of us woke up yesterday morning to the news that Israel's under attack and that uh, war had been declared. Terrorists sent uh, 5,000 rockets uh, over the southern border. That I saw a video, and you probably did too, of men that were uh, on motorized hang gliders literally uh, descending on Israel. Uh, they say that as of right now, 300 have been murdered and uh, over a thousand injured, and uh, 60 or so have been taken captive, and there are some horrific videos out there of, of terrorists uh, kidnapping women and children and young men and carrying them off into Gaza. And when we read these things and we see these things, by the way, some would have the, the stand, oh, stuff happens all the time over there. Friend, this is the worst attack in 50 years in Israel. The worst attack in 50 years. Benjamin Netanyahu stood up yesterday and he said, we are at war. It was a declaration of war. And whenever the nation of Israel is in the news, the child of God needs to perk up and take notice. Because as you and I wait for Jesus, as we wait for these things to uh, unfold, we understand that the closer we get to the end, the more Israel comes into focus and comes into play. It will become the focus of the world's attention. 
And friends, if you're listening closely, I think you can hear the sound of thunder in the distance. I think you can hear the hoofbeats of, uh, of the horsemen uh, coming and on into this world. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, it's the last sermon he'll ever preach. Matter of fact, in two days, he will hang on the cross. It's the final message for his people. Matthew chapter number 24, he is there. The Bible says that uh, in verse number three, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Man, what a question. I don't know. You ever ask somebody a crazy question? You ever... You ever do that? And, uh, you, have you ever been with an expert and you didn't want to ask the question publicly because you felt like maybe it was foolish and so you kind of pulled them off to the side? Hey, I got a question for you. <laughs> you know, That's what I see here. Here, Jesus' ministry is winding down. The disciples know it. He is uh, giving them the final message. And the Bible says, and I can just see this in my mind, the Bible says that the disciples, all of them, came to him privately. In other words, they kind of corner Jesus when the crowd is gone. And they say, hey, we've seen, we've seen a lot. We've seen you raise the dead. We've seen you heal the sick. <laughs> Jesus, we, you're the son of God. Now, we've got a question. How many of you have some questions that you can't wait, you can't wait to get to heaven to get an answer? How many of you have some questions? I, I've got some. We're not going to go into all my questions right now, but I've got some. Just, they're not important. I'm just curious, all right? But uh, the disciples pull him aside and they said, Jesus, here's our question privately. What's a sign of your coming and of the end of the world? Now, here's the thing. Of all the questions that Jesus was asked in the Bible, and he was asked many questions in the Bible, he gives the longest answer to that question right there. I mean, you study it, you find the questions that he was asked. The longest answer that he gives is to that question two days before his death. What shall be a sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And the Bible clearly teaches us the imminent return of our Lord. And today, as we look around our world and we see the alignment of nations and we hear uh, some of these things that we've heard about, you know, for a long time. We, we see them come into focus and come into play. I, I think most Christians uh, have the accurate belief that the end is closer today than it's ever been. And as I woke up yesterday and, and got the news of what was happening in Israel my spirit was troubled. It, it did cause me, and perhaps I'm the only one, but I don't think so, but it did cause me to think, God, what does all of this mean? I mean, where are we at? Like on the timeline of events, and how should we behave, and what do we need to know, and why is it important? And, and friends, listen, uh, some Christians take the attitude that these things aren't important. I think you're wrong. I, I think they are important. I don't think Jesus would have spent all the time answering the question if he didn't want us to be aware of the signs of the times and uh, the coming of Christ. And so uh, I 
ask myself, you know, what does it mean? And the answer is, I don't know. I love the fact that the choir sang the song that they sang to open the service. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. And so uh, I want to give you a handful of things. I just want to show you, I want to do some teaching and show you some things that Jesus said here in Matthew chapter number 24. I, we might even look over at Revelation chapter number 6. I'll keep an eye on the time. Here's the cool thing. What Jesus said in Matthew 24. Okay, the answer to that question, show us signs of thy coming, the end of the world. What Jesus said, John saw in Revelation chapter number 6. And so if you want to study your Bible further and you want to get into this a little bit more, uh, you might want to jot that down. It's parallel. They are parallel passages. What Jesus preached, John saw. And you can see it. I mean, it falls right in line. Matthew chapter 24, Revelation chapter number 6. Of course, Revelation 6, uh, we talk about the four horsemen of the apocalypse and they're colored and they all, you know, one's white and one is red and one is pale. I mean, they all have a different color and they all represent something different and uh, uh, all of it has to do with what Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 24. So, so here's the initial thought. What should we look for? Like, how do we know that we're at that time? What, what signs should we look for? I want to give you a few signs, and then I want to give you some actionable things to take home this morning. Number one, uh, the Bible seems to teach us that that. At the return of Christ, there's going to be great deception. Great deception. Live you would, Matthew 24, and look at verse number 4. Uh, right after he answered, asked the question, what should be a sign of thy coming into the end of the world? Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. In the last days, there is going to be great deception. We know that the Antichrist himself will rise up and the Antichrist himself is an imposter. He is a deceiver. He is a man of lies. And so as we approach uh, the last days, we know that the world is going to be filled with a great deception. We know that the truth is going to be hard to find. I mean, you're going to hear the news and, and uh, you're going to wonder yourself, can I even believe that? Like, what's true? And I don't know what's true. It's going to get harder and harder to tell the truth from a lie. That's going to be a sign of the coming of Christ. Great deception. Next, not only is there going to be great, great deception, there's going to be hostilities. If you look at Matthew 24, verse number 6, uh, the Bible says, uh, verse, five, for many shall, verse 5, many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And look at verse number 6, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be hostilities. Like, we are going to start to hear more and more about wars, rumors of wars. Of course, uh, it is a major thing when you hear Israel declaring war. I mean, that is a major thing. That is a major sign. And again, I stand here, look, I'm going to give you some practical things at the end. I am not an expert. But just as you just read the Bible for what it says, we understand the reason why the world is on edge, the reason why uh, the reason why we're having a prophecy conference and, and this, this is on people's minds is because there's something inside of us that knows that 
Things are coming, uh, being fulfilled just like Jesus said they would. There's going to be great deception. Next, there's going to be hostilities. It's estimated that at any given time, there is an average of 44 war, wars going on worldwide. And hostilities, you're going, you're going to hear about war so much that it's just, you'll almost grow numb to it. There's going to be war in Ukraine. There's going to be war in Israel. And, and, and listen, it's not just that these wars are taking place. It's that you're going to hear about them. And uh, next, there's going to be deception. There's going to be hostilities. The Bible says there's going to be hunger. If you look at chapter 24, verse number 7, nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines. There's going to be great hunger. The Bible says not only hunger, but there's going to be pestilences, or you could put it this way, pandemics, or you can even put it this way, disease. And the Bible says that these are things that are going to be all over the place in the end times. Look, if you would, verse number seven again, uh, nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there should be famines and pestilences. Worldwide, sicknesses and disease and pandemic, and, and watch this. It's not just that it's going to happen one time, but, but I believe that it's going to just happen again and again and again and again. And all of these things are signs of the times. All of these things Jesus said, he took the time. He took the time to answer the question at length. Because it's important that you and I understand the day in which we are living. There's going to be Deception, there's going to be hostilities, hunger, pandemic. There's going, to be, there's going to be geographical turmoil. You're going to hear about earthquakes and volcanoes and all sorts of stuff. I had a text message uh, this morning. A friend of mine sent me a text message this morning and a video of some stuff. And I started to watch the video and it's about these earthquakes and about these platonic shifts in the earth. And I thought, man, I got I to gotta turn that off. It's going to drive me crazy before the message. I said, I can't, I can't do that or else I will sound like a crazy man. But listen, we're going to hear about these things. The Bible says uh, in verse number seven, uh, there's going to be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Not only that, but you are going to see martyrdom like you've never seen it before. You're going to see those that are, that are dying for their faith at a rate that you've never seen it before. And one would think in this day and age in which we live, a modern society, that that just would not happen, could not happen. But the truth of the matter is, every metric you could find says that there is more martyrdom happening today in this world than at any other time in the history of the world. We think of martyrdom and we think of like Colosseums in Rome and certainly, but they say that today on the globe, there is more of that happening than at any other time. There's going to be great martyrdom. There's also going to be the saturation of the gospel. Matthew 24, if you look at verse number 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So as we think about end times, and as we think about you know, the, the last days, the signs of the times, prophecy, revealing eternity, one of the great signs is that the gospel is going to be preached. It's going to saturate the globe. 
How could that have happened a hundred years ago? How could that have happened 75 years ago unless we had a missionary in every single country, unless we had people in every single village? I mean, how could the gospel, it says right there, it says the gospel of the kingdom should be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, all nations, and then shall the end come. Well, just think with me, friend. I mean, how in the world could the world have been saturated with the gospel a hundred years ago? Much easier for something like that to happen today. Man, with media and, and internet and radio and satellite. And by the way, I'm for all of these things. I want the gospel to go to the whole world. But you and I need to understand that as that happens, it's a sign of the times. The saturation of the gospel. Now, I want you to take your Bibles, and we're going to use our Bible just a little bit in the few moments that we have. And I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. All of these things are just setting up the, the main part of the message here. But 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. I'm turning there. I don't have it marked. 1 Thessalonians 1. Okay, I'm there. And we are looking at verse number 8. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Verse nine, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols uh, to serve the living and true God. And verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So here's the idea of the message, all right? We're just going to cut through to the heart of it all. I believe with all of my heart that we are living in those days. I believe with all of my heart that when Jesus said, uh, here's a sign of the coming, here's the answer to the question, here, let's, let's talk about it. You're asking a question, let me give you the longest answer I've ever given. And he points out these things. And not only does he point them out, he reveals them to John in Revelation chapter number six, right in line, right in order. I believe that, that all of that is a time in which we're living right now, and what we are doing right now is we are waiting for his son from heaven. Have you ever heard pastors say that? Sometimes pastor speaks like he's just talking casually. It's just Bible, you know, just Bible coming out. And uh, I've heard him say multiple times, even in prayer, Lord, as we wait for your son from heaven. I've heard him say that, and then one day I was reading my Bible, and I was like, man, that's where he got it from. It's right there. And... Uh, but, but listen, that's what we're doing right now. Right now, we are waiting for his son from heaven. That's, that's what we're doing. And, and so I want to help you today. How do we wait? In this world in which we're living with all of these signs swirling all around us, how do we wait for his son from heaven? What should it mean to you and I sitting in First Baptist Church on a Sunday morning in October? understanding the time in which we're living, the day in which we're living, what should it mean to us? Why is it important? How should we wait? And friends, I want to say this. I, I just want to throw this out there. Many of you believe what I'm saying, and I've tried not to get extreme or crazy. I mean, we are closer today than we've ever been. That's a statement of fact, all right? That truth should affect our lives. The, the fact that Jesus' return is nearer than it's ever been, it should affect our lives. It, it should affect, it should have an, an intense impact 
on how we live and how we think and realizing that we're in the fourth quarter. You know, in the fourth quarter of a game, man, uh, the team that's down, they surge. And realizing that we are in the fourth quarter, it should have an intense impact on how we are living our lives. It is wrong and it is foolish for the Christian to live in these days and for the reality of the coming of Christ to never stir them, to never push them, to never propel them into, into any other kind of thinking. We need to be stirred at the thought that Jesus is coming again. It should have a transforming effect on our lives and on our minds. Not only were they expecting him, they were anticipating him. Man, they knew, hey, friend, this world lies in darkness, but you and I, which believe that have the word of God, uh, this is not a mystery to us. I'm not taken by surprise as I read the headlines. I mean, you and I know that these things have to happen before Jesus returns. We are waiting right now, but how should we wait? What should our attitude be? We wake up in the morning, we hear about a war or a pandemic or some other sign. What should the Christian, how, how should it hit our hearts? I'll say this, it ought, to affect, it ought to have an effect. I tell the story and I've probably told it here. I don't know, but I, I, it's, just, it's just a perfect illustration. My son wanted a pair of Jordans and I, I bought him a pair of Jordans. Michael Jordan, best NBA player of all time and uh, Chicago Bears, greatest football team, but we'll talk about that later. This is what's important. Those things are my pleasant distraction from what's important. But uh, he wanted a pair of Jordans, and it was some special day. And so I, I, you know, we got him a pair of Jordans. And I started to notice, you know, how it changed, how it changed him. I started to notice, man, he's just kind of like this. I said, hey, man, what's wrong? I thought maybe he was sick. I thought maybe he had hurt his ankles or knees or something. He's like, what, what, dad? He, he's walking around. I said, man, what, why are you walking like that? He, he didn't even, he's like, what? I said, son, you're walking like a penguin. <laughs> why are you walking like a penguin? He said, oh, and he looked down and he said, he said, my J's. I can't crease my J's. <laughs> it's a thing. Folks, 30 and older, it's a thing, all right? Trust me. These kids are buying these shoes, and, and they're walking in such a way where they don't want to put a crease in their shoe. If it's a nice shoe, you can't put a crease in the shoe. Shoes are, shoes are huge right now, you know? I mean, shoes are very important, and uh, I guess they always have been. But I mean, now, back in the day, for me, it was just enough to have a pair of Jordans. Man, I, I stole them from the neighbor. I've got a pair of Jordans. They happen to fit. Now, you can't put a crease in the Jordans, all right? Now, now watch this, church. Those shoes mean so much. Whatever it is to have those shoes on your feet means so much to my son that he's willing, he's willing to change how he walks to not get a crease. Now, church, what I'm, what I'm trying to say to you this morning is the return of Christ 
the imminency of the return of Christ, the signs of the times, the day and age in which we're living, the knowledge that we have about Jesus coming back, it, it ought to matter to us so much that it's not just a sermon that we listen to. It's not just walking out of here saying, well, what, what are we going to get tonight? Where are we going to go to lunch? Well, it ought to matter to us so much that it should literally result in actionable change in the way that we live. In other words, my tomorrow should be different because I know Jesus is coming back and it could happen at any moment. My witness should be different. My everything, man. There should be an urgency about my life because I'm not sitting in darkness and I know that Jesus is coming again. So how do we wait? I need to give it to you quickly. Number one, we should be anxiously waiting. Anxiously waiting. Church, not fearful. Boy, can I just say that? Not fearful. I mean, sometimes fear creeps into the heart of the Christian. They, they think about Jesus coming back. And, and, uh, and listen, that should not cause us to be afraid. I was preaching along this line years ago and happened to be in the service. Dave Cowling and Brittany Staden were sitting there together. They were engaged to be married. And I started talking about the rapture and I started talking about this stuff. And, and uh, they were just weeks away from marriage, you know. They're looking at me like, no, no. <laughs> they were nervous. And I think every young person's felt that way, nervous, you know, that it's going to happen before they get married. But listen, the church should not be afraid of these things. A man was a station master. He's in the railroad station waiting for the train to come. And a young lady was there as well, waiting on the same exact train. The young lady had her fiancé on the train. She was waiting to meet him, to greet him, and then to get married. What was the difference between the station master doing his job and the young lady waiting for the train? The station master knew that the train was coming. He had his charts. He had his GPS. He had received word from the last station that the train was on his way. He was ready to check it in. But the young lady could hardly wait for it to get there. Her future husband was on that train. She could hardly wait. She was in anticipation. Uh, she, she was beside herself waiting for that train to arrive. Uh, uh, friend, that's how we need to be in anticipation of the coming of the Lord. We should be hardly waiting. I mean, I can't wait for my bridegroom to come. The Bible says, and I saw, uh, I saw the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Uh, listen, Jesus is coming back. He is our bridegroom. Uh, we should not be afraid. We shouldn't let this, these things that we hear shake us. Uh, we should hardly wait. I can hardly wait for Jesus to come back. I am not afraid. You shouldn't be afraid. There should be a spirit of anticipation, anxiously waiting. Number two, faithfully praying. Faithfully praying. Brother Judah, how do I wait for Jesus to return? Well, there should be some anticipation, man. I'm ready, I'm ready. You, you know, the last prayer of the Bible, the very last, the last prayer even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. <laughs> that's not a prayer of fear. That, that's a prayer of anticipation. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But we should be faithfully praying, faithfully praying. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Church, the fact that Jesus is coming back should affect the way that you pray. 
I mean, you should be praying with fervency that people would be saved. You should be praying with fervency. Man, we've started a church in Albany Park, and, and uh, you know, I, I'm sure you've prayed about it. But, but friends, listen, Jesus is coming back. We should be praying fervently. We should be praying fervently for our children. And God, would you use them in these days and call them in these days? And all of that, it should be a fervent prayer. Praying for our church in a fervent way. Praying for our pastor in a fervent way. Man, pastor needs prayer. We need to be praying. He goes on these trips to the Philippines and comes back. And one thing I know, there's one thing I know. Our pastor is a hard worker. Man, you try to keep up with them. Look, you're, you'll go, you're going to get, you're going to need a nap just trying to keep up. It's a hard worker. And watch this. In these last days, we ought to be praying for our pastor. We ought to be praying for every pastor. Fervently. Like in a serious, heartfelt manner, we ought to be fervently praying. Our prayer lives are anemic. Man, we've got that routine prayer in our system. It's the same thing over and over again. I think it was Robert Cook that said all of us have one routine prayer in our system, and when we get rid of it, then we can learn to pray. All of us have our go-to. We have our default prayer, you know. Dear Jesus... Thank you for this day, and, and there it goes. Is that the only prayer that you're praying? Man, in these last days, don't you think that the church of God should be praying fervently? Don't you think there should be well-attended prayer meetings? Don't you think that if you've never had family devotions, you should have them right now? Uh, how, how do we wait for Jesus? Well, we should wait with anticipation. We should wait faithfully praying, faithfully praying, knowing that our prayers matter now more than ever. Knowing that time is short. Man, you got a lost loved one, you ought to be praying for that person. You got somebody that's gone prodigal, you ought to be praying for that person. Why? Because time is short. Jesus is coming back. And that reality, that reality ought to drive the Christian to their knees. I love telling the story of we were teaching our son how to pray. I shared in a soul winning meeting. And, uh, but he was just a little guy, just maybe four or five years old. We'd have family devotions and had the little child, you know, the little child Bible, and uh, had little Bible stories in there. He'd read it to the kids. And I'll never forget Noah, because I'd read it every day too. I, Noah was a good man. God told him what to do. Build an ark and fill it up with animals, two by two. For 40 days and 40 nights, rain fell from the sky, but Noah and the animals, I got my children around me, Noah and the animals were safe and warm and and I'd look at Adam, and he'd go, dry. And I'd go, yes! And I'll find the animals. Where's the elephant? And he'd go, and he'd find the elephant. He'd find the giraffe. <clears throat> and that was our family devotions. We'd pray. Well, one day at family devotions, I asked Adam to pray. I said, Adam, why don't you pray? And he said, okay. And again, just, he was young. I'm sure he appreciates the story, but he was young. And, uh, and there we are, end of the night, we read the read the little children's Bible, and, and I said, Adam, why don't you pray? And he began to pray, and he, he prayed this. On his bed, late at night, dear Jesus, bless this food to our bodies. I remember hearing that and thinking, man, that's not right. <laughs> you know? But I let it go. I didn't want to pour water on his fire. You know? but, but it registered. And I said, oh, that's good, Adam. Go to bed. And, and then the next day, 
we were doing something, and I said, Adam, why don't we pray about that? Why don't you pray? And, okay, I'll pray. Dear Jesus, bless this food to our bodies. Man, that bothered me. And I thought, there's no food here. Why is he praying, bless this food to our bodies? And it dawned on me, that is often the prayer that he hears me pray. I mean, oftentimes, he hears me pray at the table, and I will say, dear Jesus, bless this food to our body. And so I decided, man, I'm going to fix this. As a father, the priestly role in the home, I am going to teach this boy how to pray. And so we got dinner ready the next day, and, or whenever, and, and we gathered around, and my wife had no idea that it was coming. But I knew what I was going to do. I was going to take this as a teachable time. I was going to show my son this is how you pray. This is how you call it down, son. This is how you grab hold of the horns of the altar, all right? And so we're around the table, and the meatloaf is there, and I said, all right, let's pray. We're holding hands. I bowed my head, and I'm telling you, it got on like Donkey Kong, all right? It got on. Dear, dear Jesus, I'm naming every missionary and every revival meeting. And I mean, I am just calling it out. You know how your wife, you know, when you're saying things too long, she'll squeeze your hand. We're sitting there, she's like squeezing my hand like, are you okay? I'm like, dear God, help this woman to be in a spirit of prayer. And dear God, I mean, we're praying. And I am teaching my son how to pray. When it got done, I wiped the sweat from my brow and said, amen, amen. I looked at Adam. He was like, all right, amen. The next day was Sunday. And, and uh, I would stand in front of the church like, like I do here. I'd stand in front of the church. And I saw my son come, and he wanted to pray at the altar. And I thought, this is it. We're going to see what my teaching has done here in the house of God. <laughs> and uh, he came, and he said, Dad, can we pray? Absolutely, son. We got on our knees. I said, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Dear Jesus, bless this food to our bodies. And I thought, oh no! I'm a miserable failure! What's wrong with this kid? You know? I remember the very first time. L listen, I don't have time to develop it. I want to get to the other points in, in six minutes. But, but I remember uh, this went on and on and on and on and on. I mean, this just kept going on. Jesus, bless this food to our bodies. I'd see him come down the altar and I'd be like, oh brother. Here we go, another act of Phariseeism, you know, I mean, it just, it was bothering me. I remember the very first time we knelt at that altar, and he, he prayed, he said, Dear Jesus, you bless Leota, she's sick, and Brother Denver, his heart is bad. They were two members of our church that were sick, and I remember the very first time he prayed, it was so simple, but it was so sincere. Church, all I'm trying to say is this, in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again, in light of the fact that we can go through Thessalonians, we can go through uh, Matthew 24, we can go through Revelation chapter number 6, we can put it all together, and I think you should, and it's a profitable study. And if you do it honestly, what you're going to find is this, Jesus' return is imminent. And the signs of the times are there, and we are in this day and age, and we are waiting. We are waiting. How do we wait? We should wait with anticipation, not with fear, and we should wait faithfully praying. It should affect our prayer life. We should pray for our families like never before, and pray for our church like never before. Pray for the lost like never before. Next, we should find ourselves waiting. We should be zealously serving. Zealously serving. Zealously serving. I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man 
can work. And friends, when we realize that we are in those seasons, we're in that time where the night's coming when no man can work, then you and I should find ourselves zealously serving. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. I mean, we should be involved in the work of God. If ever there was a time to not just come to church and occupy space, if ever there was a time to join a bus route, to give to missions, to uh, participate in a, a new church starting, to go soul winning, to invite people to church. Friends, if ever there was a time to go to one of these counters, to get this card to go to a co-worker or a neighbor and say, would you come with me one last time to church? Would you come for our conference that we're having? Hey, if ever there was a time to zealously serve, that time is today. Today, as we see the day approaching, the Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more exhorting one another as ye see the day approaching. And all of us can sit here and soak in the knowledge of the end times and, and agree with it. But friend, if it doesn't change something about us, then our knowledge is for nothing. We need to be zealously serving, zealously serving, diligent in our witness, getting serious about it. When was the last time you led a soul to Christ? When was the last time you took somebody down the Romans road? I know, I know that you know how to do it. When was the last time you did it? Zealously serving. Next, not only should we be anxiously waiting, faithfully praying, zealously serving, but we should be aggressively preparing. Aggressively preparing. We don't have time to go to James chapter number five, but James five is... is a very powerful passage. You look at James number five, it starts out with these words, go to now ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is cankered and the rest of them shall be a witness against you. Shall eat your flesh as it were fire, ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. You've lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton, ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. But look at verse number seven. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. You see, James chapter five is all about the coming of the Lord. And again, just another passage showing us how do we wait for God? Well, we should be aggressively preparing our possessions. We should be investing in souls like never before, aggressively preparing, getting our possessions in order. Here, the Bible talks about rich men and their gold and silver is cankered and, and their clothes are moth-eaten. In other words, uh, they were not prepared. The time is gonna come when it's too late to invest in eternal things. Like that time's gonna come. There, there's a definite stopping point where you can't give any more to the lost. You can't give any more to mission. You can't give any more to a church. And I'm going to tell you something, friend. As we consider the last days, that thought ought to, ought to propel us to prepare with our possessions. We should prepare with our possessions. We should prepare with our souls. I, I'm done. I've got 30 seconds. Hey, if you're sitting here today and you're not saved, get saved today. I don't know what else to tell you.
I mean, if you are here and you've never been born again, if you are here and you're living in doubt, if you're here and you're in fear, if this is your first time or if you've been to this church a thousand times, but you do not know when that trumpet sounds that Jesus, that you'll meet the Lord in the air, if you are unsure about your eternity, get that thing settled today. How do we wait for his son from heaven? Man, we need to prepare our souls. We need to know that we're saved. We need to be born again. That's the only way to be prepared. If all we have is knowledge, but we're not saved, friend, the Bible says that here's why we don't live in fear. Because in those days, those of us that are saved will be delivered from the wrath to come. That's what the Bible says, delivered from the wrath to come. Well, if you're not saved, you'll not be delivered from the wrath to come. You need to be born again. How do we wait? Man, we hear the news, we see the times. I'm telling you, the, the fact that Jesus is returning should change the way that you live. It should. There should be some kind of a zeal to change the way that you live. No fear. We have nothing to be afraid of. Don't allow the fear of this day and age paralyze you from serving the Lord. We should be anxiously waiting. We, we should be uh, aggressively serving, faithfully praying, preparing ourselves, our possessions, our own souls for the day when the Lord returns. Would you bow your head, please, and close your eyes?